listeners. This is Labor Know Your Rights Podcast. I'm your host, Dave. This episode is brought to you by the National League of Justice and Security Professionals, where the members come first. Contact information can be found in our show notes, including our toll-free number, where you can leave a message, ideas for future episodes, or tell us about events, campaigns, or victories in your union. Please check out Life on Record. February 1, 1960, in Greensboro, North Carolina, black students sat down at a segregated lunch counter in southern cities and refused to leave until served. In April, a conference organized by Ella Baker formed the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. SNCC protests in Albany, Georgia, in November 1961 filled the city's jails. In spring of 1963, King led a children's crusade in Birmingham, Alabama. Mass demonstrations of elementary and high school students dispersed by fire hoses and police dogs on national television. Though youth often led the way, the movement was a family and community affair. Jim Crow was worse in rural Mississippi. In Sunflower County in the Mississippi Delta, more than 60% of the population was black, but less than 2% electorate was African American. The Civil Rights Movement did win concession from Johnson's administration. In July 1964, the President signed the Civil Rights Act, which prohibited discrimination by race, color, sex, religion, our national origin in voter registration, employment, public education, and public accommodations. In August 1965, he signed the Voting Rights Act, which barred states from using literacy tests and other devices to disenfranchise people of color and empowered federal officials to register voters turned away by local authorities. Johnson also declared a war on poverty the new Office of Economic Opportunity Administration programs assisting poor people, especially those excluded from relief and aid programs ran by states and white supremacist governments. The Job Corps provided training and employment to youth from poor communities. Community action programs funded social services provided by local coal rights projects. The federal government funded adult literacy programs and the Head Start program for preschoolers. The Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965 gave direct federal aid to local school systems for the first time. If they were racially integrated on our desegregating in good faith. Fulfilling a New Deal promise, Congress passed the Medicare and Medicaid Act in 1965. Medicare subsidized health insurance for the elderly Medicaid paid medical expenses for indigent households. Court rights activists faced brutal, sometimes murderous, reprisals at every step. Racists bombed King's 
and Nixon's homes in 1965. White mobs assaulted SNCC sit-ins in 1960. A freedom ride bus was firebombed outside Anniston, Alabama, and riders beaten in Anniston, Birmingham, and Montgomery in 1961. The Klan bombed a Birmingham church in 1963, killing four girls. In Mississippi, two SNCC workers were shot gunned down in Ruleville in 1962. Activist Medgar Evers was assassinated outside his house in 1963, and three students were abducted, tortured, and killed during Freedom Summer in 1964. Local and state police often collaborated with white supremacist vigilantes. The Alabama attacks on Freedom Riders were carried out under police supervision, and Hammer got her beating in the police station in Winona, Mississippi. Activists and protesters were arrested and jailed by the tens of thousands. The 1964 Civil Rights Act intensified the fury. By that October, in Mississippi alone, 15 people had been murdered and 37 black churches torched or bombed. Police felled protester Jimmy Lee Jackson outside Selma in February 1965. As the Selma marchers dispersed from Montgomery, Klansmen, one an FBI informant, shot and killed Viola Louie, 22, a white mother of five, daughter of a coal miner and wife of a Teamster business agent, who had come from Detroit to show solidarity with the movement. In 1962, in Cambridge, Maryland, students' protests against segregation at the movie theater and the skating rink roused local activists to demand not only desegregation in schools and hospitals, but also jobs and housing. In June 1963, the National Guard arrived to keep the peace and stayed almost continuously for more than a year. The same month, 3,000 black Boston students stayed out of Polk schools for a day to protest segregation. Over the next school year, hundreds of thousands of children staged protests in other northern cities. Also in June 1963, black New Yorkers picketed a Harlem construction site to protest their exclusion from the building trades unions. On March 6, 1964, the Congress on Racial Equality blocked traffic on New York's Triborough Bridge to protest conditions in Harlem, substandard schools, public services, housing, poverty, and police brutality. The righteous anger Fueling these protests found an eloquent spokesperson in one-time railroad porter and petty criminal Malcolm Letty. While in prison for burglary, he joined the Nation of Islam, renounced his slave name, and became one of the nation's most charismatic ministers. From Harlan's Temple 7, Malcolm X condemned American white supremacy in all its forms and called on African Americans to practice self-respect, self-defense, and self-determination. In 1964, he broke with the nation, inspired by the African anti-colonial struggle and the multiracial composition of Orthodox Islam. He founded the Organization of African American Unity to promote political action as part of an international multiracial movement against oppression. On February 21, 1965, he was gunned down at an OHAU meeting in Harlem. The anger Malcolm X freed to steer to political actions burst out in a wave of urban rebellions. 
protests against police brutality over the summer of 1964 in Harlem, Brooklyn's Bedford-Stuyvesant section, Philadelphia, and other cities had turned violent, and most of the rebellious yes, began as confrontations with the police. In August 1965, in the Watts section of the South Central Los Angeles, when police pulled over a 21-year-old, then arrested his mother, when she protested, thousands of people gathered, forced the police to retreat, and began four days of rebellion. They took weapons from pawn shops and military surplus outlets, built barricades, stoned police and firemen to shouts of, this is for Selma, and long live Malcolm X. They targeted stores known for price gouging, easy credit schemes, and rudeness to patrons, sparing libraries, schools, and black-owned businesses. The National Guard cordoned off the zone and cleared it street by street. Property damage totaled more than 35 million. 34 people were killed, nearly a thousand injured, over 4,000 arrested. The summer of 1966 saw rebellions in 43 cities, with 11 people killed and more than 400 injured. The following summer was worse. The July revolt in Newark lasted six days and spread to nearby cities like Patterson, Passaic, and Elizabeth. Less than a week later, Detroit broke out in the worst U.S. rebellion of the century. Eight days of violence suppressed by federal troops, 75 major re rebellions that summer claimed 83 lives. In 1966, SCLC opened its first campaign outside the South, holding Chicago civil rights groups to challenge discriminations in housing. In April 1967, King denounced the U.S. war in Vietnam and identified imperialism as the enemy of racial equality at home. On April 4th, King was assassinated in Memphis and communities erupted their youth battling police in more than 100 cities with 46 lives lost. In 1967, the FBI deployed undercover agents to disrupt, misdirect, discredit every major civil rights group. In February 1968, police in Orangeburg, South Carolina fired on a peaceful black student protest at the local bowling alley, wounding 28 and killing three. In the late 1960s and 70s, activism surged in poor and working class communities. Many activists got their start in groups supported by unions. The slogan, Power to the People, captured the journal mood. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, founded in 1966 in Oakland, California, combined medical politics and militant tactics with community service programs. The Panthers saw Black America as a colony. Their goal was self-determination, their first concern, survival. They demanded housing, education, jobs, exemption from military service for black men, release of black prisoners, black juries for black defendants, and an end to police brutality, reparations for slavery and discrimination, and a United Nations plebiscite to determine the will of black people as to their national destiny. Their community services ranged from schools and daily care to clinics with programs for sickle cell anemia and high blood pressure. They supported prisoners' families with transportation and emergency cash grants and collected clothing and shoes for school children. By 1969, their free breakfast program ran by 
Welfare mothers and grandparents served 23,000 children in 19 cities. By 1970, police had killed 27 party members. Chicago police shot Fred Hampton and Mark Clark in their beds on December 4, 1969. Only in the census did the category Hispanic form a single group. Though most spoke Spanish, Latino communities differed in origin and history. Puerto Rican migration had soared after World War II, pushed by the island's unemployment and pulled by industrial recruitment. U.S. Steel subsidiary National Tube Company and Carnegie Illinois Steel in Gang, Indiana, each brought in 500 mill hands from the island in 1947 and 1948. By the mid-1960s, more than a million Puerto Ricans lived in Northeast and Midwest cities. Most lived in the New York City where the Young Lords Party started in 1969. Its first community project was sweeping Spanish Harlem and South Bronx streets with brooms confiscated from the city sanitation department. But TLP soon set up free breakfast and clothing programs for children, TB and lead poisoning testing, rent strikes, drug detox programs, and cultural activities. Other Puerto Rican groups developed, including La Union Latina Determination, La Union Latina Resistencia Puerto Ricana, and Puerto Ricans for Self-Determination, the pro-independence Partido Socialista Puerto Ricano found in on the island in 1971 set up the first of many U.S. branches in 1973. Puerto Ricans also joined El Committee of Manhattan. West Side Group started in 1970 by a neighborhood softball team of factory workers and ex-gang members led by Federico Lora, a Dominican-Vietnam veteran. El Comita organized against urban renewal, moving squatters into condemned buildings, then daring the city to remove them by force, a tactic adopted by many housing activists afterwards. They also agitated for better public education, health care, and daycare centers, and supported strikes by Latino workers. Among the many political refugees who fled the Dominican dictatorship by U.S. Marines in 1965 were branches of opposition parties such as the Movimiento Popular Dominicano. Like many Dominicans, Italian immigrants were often refugees from a U.S. client regime. The dictatorship of Francis Duvalier and his son John Claude, Papa Doc and Baby Doc, tens of thousands came to New York City after Duvalier, your peer, came to power in 1957. Proud of Haitia's standing as the second republic in the New World and the first black republic anywhere, and affronted by the color line in U.S. society, Haitians tended to see their residents as one of transit and to focus on ending the repression and exploitation that had forced them to immigrate. More than two-thirds of the Latinos in the U.S. were of Mexican origin, and the largest Latino movement took shape in their communities. Migration from Mexico continued both illegal and legal. The Bresario program, based on the 1942 agreement between Mexico and the United States, brought in over 4 million farm workers before it ended in 1964. Illegal immigration was probably higher. During the 1950s, La Nagra Te 
immigration and naturalization services deported almost 4 million people to Mexico, more than a few of them U.S. citizens or legal residents. In 1959, the Mexican-American Political Association started to register voters and protest police brutality and discrimination in housing and education in Southern California. La Alancia Pedro de Mercedes formed to press claims for, for land confiscated after the 1848 annexation. In 1966, Lee Alanza, with 20,000 members in New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Texas, and California, turned from legal to direct action. Alancia activists occupied the Kit Carson National Forest in northern New Mexico and in 1967 raided the local courthouse to free Alancia members from detention. Such militant actions galvanized young campus and community activists. They began to call themselves Chicanos, turning a disparaging term for Mexican Americans into a badge of pride and started a host of new organizations. Black and Latino resistance to oppression reverberated in the prison population. Authorities reported 16 inmate uprisings in 1970, organized by groups like the California's Prisoners Union, which spoke for the convicted class. Inmates at California's Folsom Prison staged a three-week strike demanding better conditions and treatment, including minimum wage and the right to organize. They asked Panthers and Brown Berets to negotiate for them. In August 1971, over half the 2,200 inmates at Attica Prison near Buffalo, New York, seized half the facility and 39 guards demanding adequate food and shelter, religious freedom, legal assistance, reading materials, and fair wages for prison labor. After four days of negotiations, State troopers stormed the prison, killing 29 inmates and 10 guards. Another prison made headlines. Indians of all nations briefly occupied the abandoned federal prison on Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay in 1969. Their claim was based on an old, broken treaty, but even long-established treaty rights were under new attacks. Between 1946 and 1960, Tribes lost over 3.3 million acres of land, and reservation activists were organizing from Alaska to Florida over issues like water rights, fishing rights, and land use. A third of the country's half million Native Americans lived off reservations, mostly in cities. In 1968, Native American ex-convicts in Minneapolis, St. Paul, started community patrols against police abuse and founded the American Indian Movement, which popularized the slogan Red Power and called for a return to Native traditions. AIM joined the Pan-Tribe Trial of Broken Treaties in 1972, which took a caravan of cars and trucks to Washington, D.C. and seized BIA offices. In 1973, Oglala's tyrannized by paramilitary goons working for Pine Ridge Reservation Chairman Nick Wilson asked HIM for help. AIM mustered at Wounded Knee and withstood a 10-week siege by the U.S. Army, though two members were killed by crossfire. Native Hawaiians also asserted ancestral land claims as well as demanding reparations for the 1895 coup and annexation.
The movement targeted land seized by the U.S. military, especially 600,000 acres taken during World War II. In 1976, protesters occupied Koha Alawa Island, used as a target range since 1941, and forced its demilitarization and decontamination. Asian street gangs organized in self-help groups to fight gang warfare and drug addiction. In Los Angeles, Filipinos formed Pagakusi and Samoan Amayapatasia, but the Yellow Brotherhood and as an American hardcore recruited from all Asian nationalities. By 1969, self-help organizing in San Francisco gave rise to the ASA in Community Center, which ran a food co-op, and summer programs for children. Admiration for the People's Republic of China inspired some activists to create organizations like the Red Guards in San Francisco, East Wind in Los Angeles, and Iwar Kuen Righteous and Harmonious Fists in New York City. They combined political organizing with service projects such as medical clinics, breakfast programs, daycare, and language classes. A coalition that mobilized mass community rallies against police brutality and for Asian workers employment on the federally funded Confucius Plaza housing project. But international alliances developed too. The Congress of Italian American Organizations joined black and Puerto Rican groups to push for open admissions at New York City's public colleges. Greeks and Arabs in Dearborn, Michigan joined Native Americans and others in a community council to fight plans to tear down low-cost housing. Struggles against real estate developers in Honolulu united virtually every ethnic group on the island. Chicago's Black Panthers and Young Lords formed a rainbow coalition with the North Sides Appalachian white community. The most common cause of the 60s was stopping the Vietnam War. No one contributed more to popular and working class opposition to the war than protesters who were also veterans. Individual veterans started denouncing the war in 1965. In June 1966, the Fort Hood Three became the first soldiers to refuse to go to Vietnam. In 1967, Vietnam veterans against the war formed in New York City, the first anti-war veterans organization in U.S. history. In April 1971, VBAW organized 1,500 veterans to camp on the Mall in Washington in defiance of a Supreme Court injunction. 800 threw their service awards and combat decorations over the barricade built to keep them away from Congress, and a thousand veterans, many on crutches or in wheelchairs, led half a million people marching against the war. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. If you like our podcasts, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find us. If you would like to contact us, we have various ways to do so in our show notes, along with 
Contact information for the National League of Justice and Security Professionals. Thank you for listening. Thank you.